Well, hey there, everyone. Vic here. Great to be speaking again today. I trust you enjoyed that Bible Project video. Uh, up front, you know, we love those guys. Uh, we've often used them uh, before we start a series out of a book in the Bible. For some reason, we didn't do it with Second Peter, and so I know we're in the middle of this book, so you know, it's a better late than never. Um, but today we are going to be covering all of chapter 2, so quite a bit of ground to, to cover. And if there's a title to today's sermon, if you have your notebooks and your uh, pens with you, uh, it'll go like this. Liar, liar, pants on fire. Title is... Liar, liar, pants on fire. And so uh, we're going to read again a couple of verses, uh, talk some more, read some verses, talk some more until we are done with chapter two. And just a little bit of a warning. Peter is pretty passionate. This is a a chapter full of very descriptive words. I think uh, Peter being at the end of his life, you know, doesn't mince any words. He's he's super intense. And, And I think the older you get, you kind of don't care really about what people think about you, you know, you find yourself a bit more courageous when you when you share truth and things that you have convictions about. And maybe that's coming through here for Peter. Um, and so let's read the first three verses uh, uh, and then uh, see what we can learn from God through this. But false teachers, false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. And many will follow their sensuality, and because of them the way of truth will be blasphemed. And in their greed they will exploit you with false words. Their condemnation from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. This is God's word. Let's dig into it. Verse 1 tells us here that uh, uh, the false teachers, these people with destructive heresies, that's the major point that Peter is making in chapter 2, uh, will creep in secretly. Uh, you know, it will be subversive, uh, kind of like carbon monoxide. You know, recently we uh, discovered that our carbon monoxide sensor at the top on our third floor uh, malfunctioned. You know, it started beeping like crazy and eventually we had to unplug it. And luckily the fire department was doing a survey in our street that week and I was able to ask them about it. And they said, yes, it needs replacement. And so it's in my car. I need to do that pretty soon. Uh, because carbon monoxide is odorless, but it's deadly. Uh, and, and I think Peter is saying that if you do not know the Old Testament, you do not know the teachings of Jesus and, and submit to the uh, 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 apostles teaching the people whom Jesus commissioned and sent. Uh, if you don't have that, uh, you don't have a carbon monoxide sensor and you can easily fall for the trap of the lies that's being sowed and taught here by these uh, uh, heretics. And, uh, and I think that was the point of the end of chapter one where you know, Peter is saying, man, you would do well if you knew the scriptures. You would do well. It'd be like having a lamp in the dark. Uh, and so there's a warning for us that, you know, if we do not read the scriptures, uh, prioritize God's word and his truth, that, you know, we might fall into the trap of believing lies instead of believing truth. And so in this particular church that Peter writes to, there were two major heresies going around. The, the first one, they were saying, listen, Jesus is not coming back. Uh, you know, nothing's happened. Nothing's going to happen. Uh, and then the second one is that we're saying, therefore, there will not be any final judgment. There are no consequences for your sin. And that's, that's what we'll focus on today. The return of Jesus we'll look at next week in chapter 3. 
And uh, their, their um, heresies, their, their, their lies were characterized by these two traits. Number one, uh, sensuality was present. Uh, in particular, their, their pursuit of sexual pleasure. <coughs> Excuse me. That came, comes through uh, throughout this whole passage. Uh, just licentious in every way. And, and then also their greed. Because they were clearly preaching a message of freedom. Hey, you can do what you like without any consequences, and it was gaining popularity. Uh, and so, uh, you know, they were uh, chasing a following, you know, uh, uh, they were getting popular, and therefore they were, were getting rich, you know, they were uh, benefiting monetarily from this. And they were also not being persecuted at all. Uh, whereas the, the people that Peter writes to, they were being persecuted for following the way of Jesus. And these false teachers seem to be experiencing the opposite. It's quite convenient, isn't it? Hey, a love for sin that they had and then, you know, a teaching of no accountability. Uh, no wonder this message helped them get rich. You know, these were the tickets that definitely sold, uh, you know, if they, as they packed out, you know, their speaking gigs. You know, everybody wanted to come hear what they had to say because they were saying you can have your cake and you can eat it. But uh, we'll read in Second Peter now from verse 4 onwards that uh, that is not the case. Um, so let's do that together. Verse 4 says, For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to chains of gloomy darkness to be kept until the judgment, if he did not spare the ancient world, but uh, preserved Noah, a herald of righteousness, with seven others, when he brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly, if by turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to ashes he condemned them to extinction, making them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly. And if he rescued Lot, greatly distressed by the sensual conduct of the wicked. For as that righteous man lived among them day after day, he was tormenting his righteous soul over their lawless deeds that he saw and heard. Well, then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to keep the unrighteous under punishment until the day of judgment, and especially those who indulge in the lust of defiling passion and despise authority. We'll stop there at the first half of verse 10. So Peter is saying, listen, judgment will come. Consequences will, will come. Uh, and, and from a cultural perspective, I don't think this is too foreign uh, an idea for us. I just think of the, the last couple of years and how, you know, people are you know, called to, to justice. They, they, they need to be brought uh, to account for things that they have said or things that they have done in the past. There's like no mercy in society. It kind of feels that way. So I don't think what Peter is describing over here should actually hurt our ears. I think that's kind of the world that we're living in right now. And he's using an argument that, you know, rabbis, even Peter would have learned this from Jesus as a rabbi, as a teacher, um, that where, where they would make an argument, a minor argument, saying if A is true, well, then surely B is true. Uh, and, and in this case, you know, he's pointing to these Old Testament accounts, you know, to Noah and the flood, to, to the judgment of fallen angels, to Sodom and Gomorrah, these two cities. And I just want to stop there for a moment and ask you if you are familiar with these terms, because Peter is making the assumption that his readers know these biblical accounts. And I, I don't want to just make the assumption either, because I, I have spoken to quite a few city gators and people in our day, and I know that biblical literacy is at an all-time low. 
And so I want to encourage you to not just like, you know, nod at me explaining these things to you, but I want to say to you, go and check them out for yourself. Because Peter assumes that the people writing this letter would know what he's speaking about. And so would you go to Genesis chapter 6 and, and, and Genesis chapter 7 and 8 and Genesis chapter 19 and have a look at these things, you know. I'll, I'll quickly summarize them for you now, uh, but this is a, a challenge to you to, to know what he's writing about and what we're speaking about. So first of all, this whole thing about fallen angels, uh, you know, being judged, uh, you know, two interpretations of that. The one could be just speaking of Satan, Satan who, you know, is a fallen angel and, and a whole host of, of angels followed him in his rebellion. And Jesus in Matthew 25 refers to that, that moment when he was cast out of heaven down to earth. Uh, of course, there's a lot of mystery attached to that, a lot of unknowns to that. But, but, but Jesus, you know, who's pre Pre-incarnate was, you know, sitting at the right hand of the Father, you know, God, God the Son, uh, um, eternal. Uh, you know, he saw Satan falling, and, uh, and, and perhaps this refers to that. Another um, interpretation, which is the likely one, is that it speaks of Genesis chapter 6, where there were these, these, this civilization of, of fallen angels who, who, ha, uh, who looked at the, the children or the daughters of men uh, and, and slept with them uh, and, and had children. And, and, uh, and, and it speaks of, of, of them you know, uh, uh, being judged as, as a result of that, doing what they are not supposed to do. And, you know, it's interesting because there's, there's a mirror between what they did and what Adam and Eve did, actually, in, in Genesis chapter 2 and 3, where it says they saw the fruit, uh, that it was good, and then they took it and ate it. And, and, and even with these, these, these angels, they saw the daughters of men, that they were beautiful, and they took them and slept with them. Uh, and so, you know, it could refer to that. Um, Genesis chapter 7 to, and 8 uh, uh, is the account of Noah and the flood. And uh, we know that, you know, God's heart was broken because uh, humanity was just, you know, his heart was just inclined to evil all the time. And, he, and he, it, it broke his heart even that he had created them. And so he was going to start again, flood the earth. And, and actually some of the wickedness this there, some people believe is a result of the, the, the fallen angels, you know, um, uh, uh, sleeping with the, the, the daughters of, of mankind. Uh, and their children is, is a result of the violence, you know. A lot of mystery there again. But, um, but uh, the flood came uh, as a result of the, the ungodliness on planet earth. And uh, Noah and his family were spared in the ark. And then you fast forward to Genesis chapter 19 and you see these cities that were known for wickedness. Uh, and Lot, who's a relative of Abraham, found himself living in one of those cities. And actually, uh, uh, you know, uh, angels in a sense, you know, like, like men came uh, into the city to, to warn Lot as a righteous man that, listen, you need to get out. God's going to destroy the city. And, and in that account, it tells us that the men of the city came outside Lot's door because they saw these men and they were like, who are these beautiful uh, creatures? And the men wanted to, to, to take them and, and do with them what they wanted, sleep, sleep with them. And, and, uh, and, 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 and you know, Lot uh, intervened and it didn't, it didn't take place. But, uh, and, and he was able to, to escape. But, you know, that, that God frowned upon and, and that those cities were destroyed. Um, and so uh, those are the accounts that 
Peter is, is using as an example that if, if God uh, uh, brought judgment upon them, he will bring judgment upon these false teachers today. And before I move on, maybe as a Christian, uh, you, you are unfamiliar with these or, or these are the passages you read and you scratch your head. And, and maybe you're not a Christian and you're listening today and you think, I can't believe those stories. Uh, and, and just to say that, you know, of course, there are some things in, in, uh, in the Old Testament that, that are, are, are difficult to understand, uh, sometimes hard to swallow. But, you know, one of the things that we hold on to is the fact that Jesus re- affirmed these very stories that Peter is, is mentioning here. And, 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 uh, in Luke chapter 10, verse 18, and chapter 17, verse 22, uh, so 26 to 33, you can check it out yourself. You know, if Jesus, um, who, 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 who is God incarnate, uh, you know, mentioned these stories, it gives them credibility. We are followers of Jesus, and, and, and we, we follow Jesus because, uh, you know, he lived a perfect life. Then he died in our, de- in our place, but then he was raised from the dead. He conquered death. He was resurrected, uh, and, and we believe in the resurrection. And because of the resurrection of Jesus, he, he, he's, he's, he proved that he has authority. Uh, and, and so when he, when he speaks about those things, we, we listen, and we take it seriously. And, and so, you know, maybe that's... Uh, Maybe, maybe that's helpful to you. I trust it is. Um, but Peter is pointing to the fact that God rescues the righteous and, and he, he judges the, the wicked. And I think this must be an encouragement to the people reading this letter. Because remember, they, uh, they don't just want to hear from Peter uh, that the false teachers will be silenced, but they also want to be shepherded through the complexities and the difficulties they find themselves in. They are living through the first wave of organized persecution under the Roman Emperor Nero. Uh, and I'm sure they're asking this question, why are these guys prospering and we are suffering? We're following the way of Jesus. When is he going to come? Is he going to take care of this? And so Peter's words is shepherding words to them, saying, trust the Lord, trust the Lord. He's done it before, he will do it again. So let's keep reading. Second uh, Peter chapter 10, second half, uh, sorry, chapter 2, second half of verse 10 all the way to verse 16. They are bold and willful. They do not tremble as they blaspheme the glorious ones. Whereas angels, though greater in might and power, do not pronounce a blasphemous judgment against them before the Lord. But these, like irrational animals, creates uh, creatures of instinct, are born to be caught and destroyed, blaspheming about matters of which they are ignorant, will also be destroyed in their destruction. Suffering wrong as the wage for their wrongdoing, they count it pleasure to revel in the daytime. They are blots and blemishes, reveling in their deceptions while they feast with you. They have eyes full of adultery, insatiable for sin. They entice unsteady souls. They have hearts trained in greed, accursed children. Forsaken, forsaking the right way, they have gone astray. They have followed the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved gain from wrongdoing, but was rebuked for his own transgression. A speechless donkey spoke with human voice and restrained the prophet's madness. Okay, what is going on over here? Well, first of all, I think Peter is outlining broadly just the character differences 
between the false teachers and, Gen- and Genesis and 1 Peter chapter 1, chapter 1, where he outlined the, the character traits of, of believers. There's a stark contrast between the two. You can go check them out. These people defy authority. And so there's a sense that if anybody like the apostles does not affirm their way of life, they don't listen to them. They reject them. Um, it tells us that they are flippant towards the spiritual and the demonic. Maybe those first two verses, 10, 11, and 12, speaks of that. Uh, what, are, what does it mean? I mean, yes, uh, not easy to understand, but there's a sense that they're saying like even good angels don't do what these people do when they speak about the demonic, about the, sp- the spiritual. They, they, they're so casual about it. And you know, in our Western context, I've seen that, that people are so open to the occult, so open to being spiritual. You know, I'm spiritual, but not religious. Uh, you know, so, so open to, to dabble in the occult. But they do not want to come under the authority of the creator God. You know, every demonic force is, is created. God is uncreated. You know, every demonic and spiritual power is on a leash. It can only accomplish what it's accomplishing because God in his sovereignty and in his wisdom, which I can't understand, but he's got a, he's got a grand plan. He's allowing it. So he's in charge. So people would reject God, but they would embrace the occult, the lesser, and, and be, in a, in a sense, very casual about it. Um, actually, the consequences, you know, it's, is, 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 is bad. You know, you're forfeiting your soul, as we'll read uh, onwards. And verse 13 tells us that these people feast with the Christians. So it maybe speaks of communion, you know, maybe taking communion in the way they should not, like 1 Corinthians speaks of. Um, they claim to be Christians, but it tells us they're insatiable for sin, an appetite that just cannot be satisfied. Um, and there's a contrast made between chapter 1, the sort of the faithful Christians, and these unfaithful uh, false teachers. You know, uses the word adultery. Their eyes are full of adultery, so they lust after others, and they are unfaithful to Jesus. And they unfortunately are luring others to join them. You know, one of the words used here was enticing unsteady souls, people that are weak in their faith. They lure them in to their licentiousness. And then, you know, he talks about this guy, Balaam. He says they fall fall into uh, the, the way of Balaam. What is going on there? Who's Balaam? Well, again... An Old Testament character, you can read this account in Numbers chapter 22 to 24, um, where the Moabite king was afraid because the Israelites were conquering land. And, and he went to Balaam, who apparently uh, was able to uh, you know, hear from God. And he said, won't you come and curse this nation? Okay. Uh, and, and Balaam just you know, asked God. God says, no, I'm, you can't do it. I won't do it. Um, and so he said that to Moab. Moab just persisted, said, please, please come. Eventually he did, disobeying God. And, uh, and, and then when he got there and he tried to, tried to curse them, uh, I mean, en route to that, like a donkey spoke to him because you know, God was kind of shaming him, saying, hey, I told you not to go, but let's, now, now that you're going, I'll show you how you won't be able to accomplish this. And every time he tries to curse Israel, he blesses them. And the king of Moab gets so upset, like three times he blesses them. And that's where the story ends in chapter 4. But then if you fast forward to Numbers 31, you'll see how in the end he, he, uh, he got his way. It's also referred to in Revelation, actually chapter 2, verse 14, when, when there's a letter to one of the churches uh, about this particular thing, falling into the trap of Balaam. And uh, uh, Numbers 25 describes it. What is it? I mean, let me tell you what it was. Basically, Balaam said uh, to to the, uh, the king of Moab, actually, 
uh, entice them away with, 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 with sexual immorality. Let the, the, the women of the Moabites, you know, lure the men away. And then eventually they will start following and worshiping their gods. Um, and so it was through sexual immorality that actually Moab got to uh, bring some destruction into the Israel um, uh, context. And, and again, as I said, these false teachers were in were characterized by sensuality, by, by sexual immorality. And so we have to stop for a moment and just talk about the difference between Christian sexual ethics and, and the cultural sexual ethic. Because there is a difference. Even, even Lot and, and, and Noah, you know, they, they were seen as strange in their context. You know, the way of the Lord was not the way of, of the world. You know, and worldliness, as I heard someone recently say, uh, is defined by the fact that uh, uh, you know, what is righteous looks strange and what is sin seems normal. Uh, that, that is kind of what, where we're at right now. And, uh, and, and we have to acknowledge just how difficult. I, I think it's going to get more and more difficult. We're going to find ourselves, uh, if we have not already found ourselves in a similar position to the, the, the readers of Second Peter, the recipients. Uh, where the, the, the problems and the complexities uh, around having a Christian, Christian sexual ethic uh, is going to become more and more apparent. And so currently it's, it's already difficult because the Christians, number one, the Christian sexual ethic once was just seen as kind of old school, uh, kind of archaic and, and left at that. But now it's seen as oppressive. Now, you know, if we teach what the Bible teach about, you know, gender and sexuality and, and marriage, Actually, it's seen as oppressive, not just as, as archaic and, and dated. So it's a, it's a, different, a different environment. Uh, secondly, the, the, the language around uh, sex and, and gender and, 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 uh, and, and sexuality has become unbelievably technical over the last little, little while. I mean, I find myself learning new terms and learning new words as I discuss these things with some of my younger friends. Thirdly, I think today's uh, uh, dominant lens through which people see themselves is actually through sex and sexuality. And so it's actually no longer about what we do with our bodies, but it's about who we are. And so you don't talk about behavior anymore when we talk about what God wants you to do with your body, but we're talking about identity. And I, and I think that's where Christianity can really speak to uh, um, uh, the perception around you know, sex, gender, and, and, and sexuality and, and everything connected to that. And then the lastly, the fourth one, the, the biggest problem, I think, uh, or one of the biggest problems, is that we no longer have the luxury to... Luxury to build bridges, relational bridges, to have conversations around this. It's kind of like when you meet someone, it's the first thing they want to talk about. And if there's any hint that there is no affirmation of their viewpoint, actually the, the, the doors for relationship, the, the, the bridge is broken immediately. Uh, and so that makes it really tough and, and, and difficult in our time uh, to, to engage uh, with people along uh, this particular subject. So verse 15 here says something sad, you know, these false teachers forsake or forsook the, the, the right way. They've gone astray and they, they followed error. And, and uh, you know, there's a danger uh, that, that we would fall into those traps as well if we don't pay attention uh, and, and actually, you know, critically, I think, think through these things. Because uh, we are being catechized by this culture. 
through the media. I mean, even what my children are being taught at school through what comes at us uh, uh, from the in, over the internet. We are being catechized, and, and we have to make sure that actually our intake of the, of the truth uh, outweighs our intake of, of, of lies around us. And, uh, you know, Christians do. We, we have historically looked to the scriptures to, uh, to know what is morally right and wrong because God has revealed himself to us through the scriptures and, uh, and, uh, and through the person of Jesus that can be, be understood and, and read about through the scriptures. And, uh, and so it's no longer our opinion. So it's not our opinions or our feelings that determines what is right and wrong. It comes from the outside of us, not from the inside of us. And we trust God on this. If it comes from the outside, it comes from the Lord. And the Lord is the one who created us. And therefore, the Lord knows what is, what is best for us, in particular for our bodies. But having said that, I, I want to say that actually this is not something that God is uniquely concerned about. It's something that our culture is uniquely concerned about. This is what I've, what I've uh, heard Ryan Legg uh, uh, say. You know, the cultural moment that we find ourselves in uh, means... Uh, that this particular subject of, of, of gender and, and, and sexuality is like a major subject. But actually, Jesus confronts not just that aspect of our lives. Jesus confronts everything in our lives. You know, it's not just that. It's money. It's, it's parenting. It's work. It's all those things. And so actually, obedience to Jesus is actually hard on some level for all Christians, not just on one level in terms of sexuality, but, but, but for other Christians, it's on, in other areas that where the way of Jesus confronts the way of culture. So let's look to Scripture. Let's, uh, let's be catechized by, by the truth and not by the culture. So let's keep reading. 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 17 to 19. He says that these false teachers are waterless springs and mists driven by a storm. For them, the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved. For speaking loud boasts of folly, they entice by sensual passions of the flesh those who are barely escaping from those who live in error. They promise them freedom, but they themselves are slaves of corruption. For whatever overcomes a person, to that he is enslaved. And so Peter is just saying actually an investment into those lies actually yields absolutely no returns. It's toxic for your soul. He's saying they are like waterless springs. In other words, they promise refreshment, but actually delivers none. They are like mists. In other words, in a mist you cannot see. You are directionless. There's confusion. And what is sad, he's saying they're enticing those that are barely escaping. In other words, they are pouncing on new Christians in a sense. Saying to them, no, you can keep sinning. There's going to be absolutely no consequences. And it looks like freedom, but he's saying actually it is slavery to their desires. He says they are overcome by it. They think they're free, but they're actually enslaved to their passions and their desires. So let's read the last two verses together. Verse 20, for for if after they have escaped the defilements of the world uh, through the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ... They are again entangled in them and overcome. The last has become worse for them than the first. For it would have been better for them never to have known the way of righteousness than after knowing it to turn back from the holy commandment delivered to them. What the true proverb says has happened to them. The dog returned to its own vomit and the sow after washing herself returns to wallow 
in the mire. Unfortunately, because they have heard the gospel, these false teachers, they are more accountable. They will be held to account in a greater way. These people appeared to be Christians because they've, they've been in the church, they've heard the truth, and therefore they will be held to greater account. There's so much of this actually happening in our culture today. You think about people deconstructing their faith, walking away from Christianity. They have heard the gospel and walking away from it. The Bible says that they will be held more accountable. It would have been better for them if they had not known. And in this description of these lie teachers, there is a warning for you and me. There's a warning in there for us. I love what verse 20 said, you know, escaping the defilements of the world. How does that happen? Well, he says through the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Peter is saying, if you know Jesus, okay, knowing the Jesus that Peter knew, all right, the king of kings who will come back to judge the world one day, not a version of Jesus that, that just says the things that you'd like to hear, but, but Jesus full of grace and full of truth. He says, that is how we escape. So knowing Jesus, not doing certain things, knowing Jesus will result in us living a certain way. And he says um, that unfortunately, when you reject Jesus after hearing the gospel like they have, it's like a dog returning to vomit or a pig returning to the mud. You know, I remember when I was a young Christian, just become a Christian. I, I was still struggling with things and vices in my life. And I knew it would break God's heart if I carried on in those things. And, you know, I had some victory in them, but then I would slip up. I would mess up. Here's some personal stuff. And I remember, you know, I wasn't married yet. Uh, I, was, I was house-sitting for, uh, for somebody, uh, you know, single guy. And, uh, and I, I remember, you know, having recently just messed up. And, and uh, I knew that I had sinned. And I was so frustrated with myself. Um, and uh, I was lying in my bed that night, and the house that I was looking after came with a dog, a big German shepherd. And, uh, you know, part of my house-sitting duties was to feed this dog. Um, and I don't know what happened during the day, but at night I was lying in my bed, and this dog came uh, into the doorway and vomited on the carpet. And I was disgusted by that. I was like, that's disgusting. But then this dog proceeded to eat the vomit, and then I was doubly disgusted. And in that moment, it's like I felt the Holy Spirit speak to me. I heard God's voice saying, reminding me of this proverb that only a dog returns to its vomit. And, and it was in that moment where I heard God's gracious voice saying to me, you're a new creation. I've made you new. The, the, what you're doing is not who I've created you to be or recreated you to be. You know, I could hear God declare freedom over, over me saying, don't go back to the vomit. You've, you've, I've rescued you from that. And that's, that's what... Uh, the encouragement to us is, is to not be like them. Let this not be us. Let us be aware of what Jesus says in his word. Let, let us be aware of what the scriptures teach. Let us be aware of the lies that are out there because we know the truth. We can compare them. And let's not eat vomit or wallow in the mud. If anything, if we're going to eat anything, let's feast on Jesus. That's this communion meal that he's given us. Let's eat it authentically as believers, as followers of Jesus together. And if we're going to get dirty, let's not be like the pig who goes back into the mud, you know, all, all of his body, but be like how Jesus described it when he said to, you know, Peter, when he said, Peter said, wash my whole body when Jesus wanted to wash his feet. He's like, no, your body is clean. You're a new creation. I only wash your feet. 
It's all. That there's a sense that, that our feet get dirty when we find ourselves sinning. We can confess, we can repent, we can receive forgiveness, but more importantly, we can receive freedom from that. God can break that, that sin, particularly maybe it's sexual sin, just as the subject uh, is so, so centered around that. There is freedom from that for you at the feet of Jesus. If you take his word, you know, it's truth. Uh, he will liberate you. In Jesus' name. Thank you for listening. God bless.